When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Vice Guide to Right Now, a daily rundown of all things Vice. It's Tuesday, January 30th. I'm Chris Hurdy. Today, we're honoring the late science fiction writer and literary icon, Ursula K. Le Guin, who died last week at age 88. But first, the headlines. If special counsel Robert Mueller interviews President Donald Trump under oath in the coming weeks, an interesting question will almost certainly be asked. Did you try to fire me? And that's when Trump could be in some real trouble, law experts are saying. If he answers yes, it could add weight to a case that the president obstructed justice. If he says no, he could be committing perjury. New data from the Chinese Academy of Sciences Institute of Atmospheric Physics analyzing ocean data from the last half century shows a clear trend. The oceans are steadily getting warmer, with this year registering the hottest yet. This data shows the consistency with which our world is heating up because of climate change. And the White House is considering nationalizing the entire next generation phone network, or 5G, to block Chinese hackers from tapping U.S. phones. And now, here's the news you won't get anywhere else. Ursula K. Le Guin was a science fiction writer and literary hero to many. Her novels and stories spoke with a graceful and humanist blend of environmentalism, feminism, and anti-capitalism. And it's quite possible we've lost her just when we needed her most. Today, we honor her life, work, and passing with Claire Evans, the founder of Motherboard's science fiction column, Terraform. Here's Claire speaking with Vice's Ankita Rao on Ursula K. Le Guin's legacy. Reading some of your pieces and your interview with Ursula, I got the sense that she's someone who means a lot to you and has deeply impacted you. When did you first discover her work? I read The Left Hand of Darkness when I was in my early 20s on a recommendation for a friend. At the time, I was trying to work my way through the entire science fiction canon as a kind of self-education in the genre. And I had kind of run out of steam because a lot of the books that people were recommending to me were written by men in the 1960s and 70s. And although they had their charms, it was kind of a trudge because I felt like women's stories were not really being included or even considered. And then I read Left Hand of Darkness, which is, I think, one of Ursula's most famous books. She won basically every award you can win in the genre for it. But it's all about this androgynous society in which people have to connect with one another without gender and in this very vulnerable and true way. And it blew my mind. And I realized that science fiction could be for everyone. It wasn't just for men. <laughs> it could be for women, too. And uh, I'm not even that that's like the big takeaway from that book, but it's it's what it did to me. And it set me on a path of really appreciating the genre and the possibilities of the genre. And Ursula, she lived in, in Portland, which is where I grew up. So I felt a strong affinity to her sort of approach. Is there anything about growing up in Portland that came through in her writing? 
Yeah, I mean, she called herself the most arboreal of the science fiction writers. She was really a deep environmentalist in, in many ways. And I think, I mean, that was probably informed by many things, but she spent most of her life in a city with, you know, encircled by dense, dark, wet, green forests. And there are always forests in her books. There's always this sense of sort of interconnected ecosystems that provide both spiritual value and almost like technological value this the idea of of a biome being a kind of system a kind of technology is something that you see again and again in her books and so i i i feel it so strongly just having grown up surrounded by the woods like that that sort of sense of the deep interconnectedness and and mystery of of nature which comes across in her work there was this quote that you have in your piece we all have forests in our own minds I was connecting that to the fact that she was also a practicing Taoist, and I was wondering how those connect and come through in terms of the way she thought philosophically or religiously about her work. Yeah, there's a couple of interconnected things that you see a lot in Ursula's work. One is she was a practicing Taoist. She started reading the Tao Te Ching when she was a kid. Her parents were anthropologists, and so she was exposed to a lot of kind of international literatures, if you will, uh, from a very young age. And there's something about Taoism that really spoke to her. I think this kind of idea of life and the cosmos being a larger whole, that there are forces of good and forces of evil, but that those forces are always in balance with one another. And that, you know, you can tip the balance depending on, on your will. There's always stories of light and dark in her books of people making complex but correct choices in the face of formidable uncertainty towards this underlying wholeness. And that I think that ties in with her ecological themes as well, because there is this sense of nature as a system. And also, I mean, she was also a, a pretty hardcore anarchist. And so uh, themes of mutual cooperation and support also kind of play into that as well. But she was rare in the sense that she really put her politics in her writing um, like really in the foreground. Uh, it was a big part of her voice was trying to get these ideas across in, in the most lyrical way possible. I was looking at the commentary around her politics and her feminism, and it almost seems like everybody wants to claim that she was one of them, you know, like there's blogs like libertarian blogs that speak to that, and then there's different types of feminist groups. Do you think she was all of these things or none of these things? Mm, that's a good question. I think she was her own thing, really. I mean, she always had a very kind of clear worldview that was informed by a lot of reading. I think she had this sense of right and wrong. She had this sense of what her values were. I don't think she really liked participating in like specific ideological categories. I think she resisted strongly the idea of being like a feminist or an anarchist or a Taoist or even a science fiction writer. You know, th those are all pretty can be really isolating categories. I think she was a little bit of everything and also totally her own thing. How has she sort of changed the trajectory of what we think of as science fiction now? Yeah, I mean, she was part of a generation of writers that really redefined what science fiction was. Because when she was a kid, science fiction was a very specific thing. It was this kind of, you know, golden age yarns written for young boys, reading popular mechanics magazines, ray guns and aliens and, and damsels in distress on Mars. And she never really, she liked it as a kid, but she never really connected with it. But when she started being published was in an era where science fiction was really maturing as a genre. And 
you know, feminist writers and, you know, more experimental kind of literary writers were entering the genre and seeing its possibilities. So she kind of came up with a whole generation of what I think are, you know, the greats like Philip K. Dick and Octavia Butler and Joanna Russ and James Tiptree and Ballard. And, uh, you know, she was never really like of exactly the same thing that everyone else was doing. She was always her own thing, but she was fortunate, I think, to have begun to refine her voice in a time where there was space for it, uh, with the, where the culture was ready for it. And because of that, I think she's had an immeasurable influence on entire generations of writers that came after her. So you actually interviewed her several years ago when she was still alive. What was that experience like? Well, to be honest, we did it over email, but she was incredibly responsive and really generous with her time. You know, even then, I mean, this was like eight years ago, nine years ago, she was she was already at a phase in her career where she didn't really leave the house much and uh, only to make appearances at local bookstores or local literary events. She sort of stopped traveling. But she was really passionate about the issue of copyright, always had been. She always kind of spoke truth to power. Uh, she resigned from the Authors Guild in 2009 to protest its endorsement of, of Google Books, scanning books and and she, she thought it was a deal with the devil. And she led this huge petition against the Google Books settlement. And I think, you know, she was making kind of un, what at the time were quite unpopular stances against major technology corporations like, like Google and Amazon because she believed strongly in, you know, copyright. I, I think she, it was important to her that writers own their work. She was kind of an anti-capitalist, always had been. I think she perceived the money economy being beneficial to writers only in the sense that if someone paid you for your work, then it would be published and then it would be read and it would it would propagate. That was important to her. But this idea that, you know, a technology company could come in and sort of make an end run around copyright and, and scan authors' works um, without their consent or, you know, by asking them to opt out rather than opt in, she really, you know, that really pissed her off. And so she made a very strong stand against that and was willing to talk to me, even though I was like a cub reporter at the time about it and she was you know she she really wanted her books to be read and to be loved but she didn't she didn't think that a company like google had the right to take ownership over the literatures of the world in any way in one of your pieces you also bring up this really amazing letter where somebody had asked her to blurb this anthology of science fiction and it was only male authors and she wrote to the editor yeah i have it right here I can imagine myself blurbing a book in which Brian Aldiss, predictably, sneers at my work, because then I could preen myself on my magnanimity. But I cannot imagine myself blurbing a book, the first of a new series, and hence, presumably exemplary of the series, which not only contains no writing by women, but the tone of which is so self-contentedly, exclusively male, like a club or a locker room. That would not be magnanimity, but foolishness. Gentlemen, I just don't belong here. Yours truly, Ursula K. Le Guin. And this was in 1987, and we weren't even talking about locker room banter nearly as much. How has this influenced women in science fiction now? Oh, I mean, she's the hero. She always took the opportunity to do stuff like that. I mean, that story of the letter is something that's circulated a lot. But, you know, she often, if she had the chance to make a stand, to say something, to, you know, thumb her nose at the establishment in a way that she felt was righteous, she would do it. And I think she was able to do it because of her status. I mean, she's been, you know, one of the giants of the field, both in terms of publication volume and, and just sheer 
talent for so long that people had to listen to her and she knew that and so she really she really did it whenever she could and also because of her just like phenomenal competence and talent like you can't not listen to what she has to say because she's truly one of the greats but you know it's a problem that has always been a big problem in science fiction i think you know in the early years basically women were aliens like in stories like if there was an alien in a story it was either a foreigner or a woman because that's the point of view from which most science fiction was written and Ursula was part of a generation and I think sort of instrumental in re-centering the perspective of science fiction and telling stories from the point of view of women and all kinds of other ambiguous genders in between and I think that's you know that's completely revolutionized the genre it's better now you know obviously there's a lot larger diversity of voices in the field there's still a lot of problems I mean there was this big brouhaha a couple years ago with the Hugos which is the biggest award ceremony in the genre where you know a sort of men's rights kind of uh, right-wing group mobilized to try to shut down uh, some of the more diverse candidates for the awards which turned into this big kind of reckoning within the science fiction people having to come to terms with the fact that there are different categories of people who appreciate sci-fi just I'll just put that that way but you know things are getting better and I think Ursula is a huge part of that and and she she really used her power for greatness why don't we close out with the words of Ursula herself is there anything that resonates with you she gave this speech to the students of Mills College in 1983 about the power of women's voices and how important it is to speak women's language in a men's world and she ends with this our roots are in the dark. The earth is our country. Why did we look up for blessing instead of around and down? What hope we have lies there. Not in the sky full of orbiting spy eyes and weaponry, but in the earth we have looked down upon. Not from above, but from below. Not in the light that blinds, but in the dark that nourishes, where human beings grow human souls. That's classic Le Guin. To read Claire Evans's full article on Ursula K. Le Guin, go to motherboard.vice.com. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. For more news and culture, check out vice.com. And tune in again tomorrow for another Vice Guide to Right Now.